how do you mitigate your risk? Montel's forecasting services cover risks from hours ahead to years ahead. We welcome you to hedge your market exposure with our diverse forecasting portfolio. Contact us at sales@montelnews.com for more info and a free trial. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast. Bring you energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Sverson. Today, the penultimate pod before we take a summer break will be in a slightly different format. We will take you on a journey around Europe, speaking to our desk editors to discuss the key issues of the first six months of the year and the outlook for the remainder of 2020. Joining me here in Montel headquarters is Olaf Vilnes, Chief Editor Nordics. A warm welcome to you, Olaf. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you, Richard. We're looking at the biggest issues in the Nordic markets in the first half of the year. Could you run us through some of the key issues? I think the main issue for most of the people in the market is the dramatic price uh, movements that we've seen. Last year, you had an average price in the Nordic market of uh, close to 40 euros. Uh, so far this year, it's dropped to 10 euros. So that's a huge drop. And in June, we even saw record low average prices for any month uh, since this market began with uh, 3 15 euros for the system price. And if you go on an area level, it fell all the way down to 1.46 euros in uh, southern parts of Norway, where you have all the hydropower plants. These price levels haven't been un- affected by the coronavirus at all, have they? That's the, the pandemic is something quite separate. It is uh, quite separate. I think the price fall would have come anyway, because the, the coronavirus created a lot of uncertainty when it arrived. They had the first lockdowns in March. But the effect on power consumption has been much lower in the Nordic market than it has been elsewhere in Europe. So I think uh, the prices have mainly reacted to the weather in the winter, which was unusually warm. It was unusually windy and also very wet. And the wet weather, it came as snow high in the mountains. And that snow reserves, they have sort of uh, built up during the winter. And when it came into May, they were close to a record high. And it has all melted into reservoirs now in June and will continue to do so even even this month. But the whole of the Nordic market isn't seeing low prices, though, is it, Olaf? I mean, there are some, there's some key price variations. Yeah, and you can say the hydropower plants, they are uh, the biggest hydropower plants are located in Norway and also in northern parts of Sweden. And these regions have seen very low spot prices. But there have also been issues with the transmission links from these areas, from Norway to Sweden, from northern to southern Sweden. And these restrictions have sort of increased the price differences between the bidding zones. So, uh, for example, in uh, in June, you had much, much higher prices in, uh, in, Sweden, in southern Sweden than in Norway and northern Sweden. One day you had a price of 80 euros in southern Sweden and Finland, while it was uh, close to one euro in Norway. And these huge price variations have created another debate about the nuclear plants in Sweden, where they are about to close another reactor at the end of this year. Vattenfall actually decided when they looked when prices were very low in April that they would keep the Ringhals one nuclear uh, power plant offline for the entire summer. But with the recent developments uh, in southern Sweden, they have actually been paid money by the TSO to keep this reactor in operation throughout the summer. So it just highlights and has also recreated a political debate in Sweden about whether it's wise to, to close down the nuclear plants 
at this time or whether you should keep them on for for maybe one or two more years. Let's look forward a bit, Olav. What do you think will be the key drivers in the remainder of the year and maybe into early next? I think a key a key driver would be the recovery. And if, if you will see prices coming back to the levels that they used to be normally. We have spoken to market analysts this week who said that maybe you could see the system price level go about 20 euros in late October. Earlier in those areas, they don't have, do not have much hydropower production, uh, and maybe even later in, uh, in in Norway. But that's a, that's an interesting part. The coronavirus creates some uncertainty over that, of course. Uh, if you have like a, a lower industrial demand uh, due to a persistent weakness in the world economy, that's one major point of uncertainty going into the autumn. So, in terms of the impact of the COVID nineteen pandemic, that may not happen until later this year if or next, if at all. Is that what you're saying? I say that there is this uncertainty, but uh, at the moment it does it does not have a huge impact. But if you if you have the industrial output falling, if, if the demand for the products, aluminium, paper, other kind of metals, if the world demand is falling, then of course you could see closures also at, on factories in the Nordic region, which again will have a knock-on effect on power demand. And, and that will keep prices lower for a longer time. Second important factor is, of course, the weather, which can, of course, if, if it gets very wet in the autumn, uh, then you will also keep prices at lower levels. So the oversupply could continue into, you know, certainly to the end of the year and maybe beyond. So, Olaf, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Thank you. Next, I'm joined by Chris Eels. He's our editor, France and is fond of wearing double denim. Though I, it may be shorts today, Chris. Well, listen, I have something to say to you, Richard. Right. What is the common thread between Bob Marley and John Lennon? John Lennon or Lennon? No, no, John Lennon, not Lenin. Yeah, please enlighten me, uh, Chris. They both wore double denim. <laughs> Let's get on to uh, energy markets. We're talking about the, the key issues in the first six months of the year. Now, what's been the most surprising impact of the pandemic in, on, on your markets, which is France? I don't know if it's been the most surprising, but the, the most significant impact has been on nuclear output. And that has been massively hit as a result of the pandemic's impact on um, demand, on power demand. So you had a 20% cut in power demand, which led EDF, the nuclear operator in France, to then cut their forecast for nuclear output this year down to 300 terawatt hours, which compared to last year's nuclear output represents, if that target is met, represents a fall of uh, nearly 30% from last year. That is a, is a massive impact on the, the power supply demand situation in France. So I don't know whether that you can describe that as surprising, but that is definitely the, the biggest impact, uh, which will have implications for years to come. What do you expect to be, I mean, obviously, this will keep driving uh, the market in France, certainly the electricity market in France and in its neighbours as well in the rest of the year. Are there any other issues that you think uh, will be will be key? Well, yeah, um, other issues are certainly the future of Aaron, Aaron being not a, a Scottish jumper, but the regulation governing the sale of um, EDF's nuclear output to rivals is currently set at uh, 42 euros a megawatt hour and concerns a quarter of EDF's uh, annual nuclear output. There's been a big fight over this, Aaron, because the pandemic, everything, all roads lead to the pandemic, 
because the pandemic cut power prices across Europe and in France, meaning that it was cheaper to buy power on the wholesale market and not to get it on the regulated rate of 42 euros. So there's been a big fight between EDF suppliers and EDF themselves, who are also struggling because of the low power prices. It led to a court battle, which is ongoing. The force majeure was declared by at least three companies, meaning that they uh, no longer had to supply at the 42 rate um, because they, it meant that they were, had to sell off their power that they had bought or contracted to buy at less than half the price that they bought it for. So big impact for small suppliers, or not small suppliers, but suppliers, alternative suppliers, rivals to EDF, Total, I'm talking about Total Direct Energy, for example, Alpic, Gazelle Energy, these three are all triggered force majeure. But EDF, in response to the force majeure, decided to cancel the Aaron contracts with these three companies, as well as appeal against court decisions to allow companies to trigger force majeure. So that situation is quite interesting because going forward, as the prices increase, well, I mean, if you look at the Q4 price in France, it's hovering around 60 euros. That's above 42 euros. So you would think there's going to be renewed demand for Aaron. But how do you, what does it mean when your contract for Aaron this year has been cancelled? EDF went ahead and cancelled contracts for three companies, uh, the companies I mentioned earlier. So what are they going to do about Aaron for the rest of the year? Are they going to try to, uh, get a new contract. You know, this is this is very interesting um, because of the higher prices in Q4 with given um, we know that uh, because of the the issues around the, the virus, uh, the Q4 is very high in France. You know, it's a premium to, to, to all of its neighbors. And there's a big debate about whether that's an accurate uh, price, uh, whether it's been overpriced. Um, I mean, but the Aaron is very interesting to, to see what happens going forward with that in the second half. That's something that your your team will be focusing very much on, both the Aaron and on the ongoing reductions in nu- nuclear availability and supply from uh, from EDF. Chris, thank you very much for joining us today. I'll have some more comparisons for you next time. <laughs> I thank you. And now we have a hotline to Andres Kala, editor, Iberia in Madrid. Hello, Andres. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Nice and warm and sunny in uh, good old Southern Europe. Excellent. So um, it's a little bit different uh, in Northern Europe at the moment. But anyway, we're here to talk about energy, Andres. Can you talk us through the, the key issues of the first six months of the year. It's obviously been the pandemic, but what are the big takeaways from from the first six months? It actually has been quite unexpected. Uh, It served as a catalyst, a catalyst for a number of things that were already ongoing, that uh, were uh, in the plans, uh, that were being thought about in some cases, but the coronavirus, just the pandemic just made everything urgent. So what am I talking about? We're talking about at least a a 12%, uh, if not as much as 16% GDP contraction. And that, of course, just rattles everything in society, including, of course, energy, lots of unemployment and all that. So the surprising things that came about from the pandemic, though, and and which will actually be good in the long run, not in the short term, uh, it'll be harder to actually 
gauge these in the short term. But we're talking about the deployment of renewables, the exit or or deathbed, for that matter, of the coal-fired plant. The PPAs uh, have consolidated. Uh, we have the gas industry. It allowed the gas industry to renegotiate a whole bunch of, well, bad contracts uh, Sp- Spanish companies had because at the end of the day, it became a buyer's market not a seller's market in, in gas. And uh, the rebound has been uh, quite remarkable, um, uh, at least in the power industry. We still expect uh, long-term uh, gas demand to be very low as industry picks up. And uh, on the power side, it's uh, it's been uh, quite uh, rapid. Uh, we've opened up, of course, now the our borders because tourism is so essential to the Spanish economy. And uh, it, it, all, the, all of these things, and uh, the, I only mention those in the energy sector, but they're just part of a broader trend of reshaping the Spanish economy uh, in such a way that, uh, yeah, it was in the plans. It, it, it just became uh, a good moment to implement all the different measures, both regulatory and in practice. So uh, we should be heading and reaching our goals and I don't mean just renewable goals or climate change goals, just our economic growth goals, sooner than expected, even if the recovery per se takes two years. But uh, instead of going or uh, reaching where we were planning to get maybe in 2025, we're going to get there in 2023, 2024, just because of the revolutionizing effect of this pandemic. Wow, excellent. So it's accelerated these changes, as you put, Andres. That's very interesting. Do you expect more acceleration in the rest of the year? What would be the key issues here? Going into the future, I think Spain, Portugal, Southern Europe in general, as we also were the ones who took the biggest part of the brunt uh, of this pandemic, we're obviously overly concerned and we're also overly careful. Um, most energy companies are not going back to work in their offices for at least until the end of the year. Uh, it's just way too risky, not simply because uh, 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 some mistakes were corrected early on and uh, or, or concern over a repeat of some of those mistakes. It's mostly just because we now realize that a lot of what the original reactions from the scientific community to a certain extent, we can't fully trust. I mean, we, we, this, is, uh, this is evolving way too quickly. So to answer your question, Richard, the thing is, we don't know when the second wave is going to come. We know it's going to come, but we're ready for it. Uh, the, the country uh, and certainly the energy industry is, uh, is ready for it. It's handling it, is uh, taking precautionary measures. Even when it gets here, it'll be handled as it uh, has been in the last two months. Uh, so, yeah, it, sh- it shouldn't cause a profound uh, <laughs> uh, reshaping uh, as it did in, in March and April, especially, and some, someone in May. So we, we don't know what's going to come, when it's going to come, how deep it will come, but that will not change the path of where we're going. It might delay it a bit, but that's as sad as it could get. Absolutely. So the new normal will not be that normal. Andres, Carla, thank you very much for joining us today. All right. Take care. Have a good week. Thank you. You too. All the best. Bye. Bye. Last but certainly not least, we're joined by Christian Driessen from our Frankfurt office. Christian is our editor, Germany. Welcome to you, Christian. How are you doing? Hello, Richard. Everything's fine. Thank you. 
Excellent. We're talking about the key issues of the first six months, obviously dominated by the coronavirus pandemic. Talk us through the biggest issues in, in, in Germany. I know it's been a very busy end of June, beginning of July for you on the policy front, but what else are the, the key issues here? Exactly. The policy front has been a huge issue over the past half year because Germany failed to um, seal the deal on a lot of important legislative projects, the first and biggest one being the coal exit law which they just, so to speak, dragged across the finish line early in July, giving the market a lot of clarity that has been needed in terms of what capacity is going to exit the market and under which uh, conditions. So um, that has been a major stumbling block for policy because nobody had clarity about the second half of the year. Another big project has been the lack of acceptance for the wind expansion in Germany, which has basically ground to a halt over the past couple of months. And German legislators finally agreed on optional minimum distancing rules in each state that allow the heads of states to implement rules to increase the acceptance of the German wind expansion. And uh, last but not least, there was a cap for the German solar expansion at 52 gigawatts that would effectively kill any further solar expansion once this cap was reached. Now, legislators have basically agreed on all those issues last year, but some smaller stumbling blocks caused huge delays in the process. And once the pandemic struck, it got delayed even further. So we've been basically hanging in sort of a bubble for over half a year now. And they finally managed to, to clear all those problems up. So the biggest impact of the coronavirus has been, in a way, or one of the big impacts has been in delaying this legislation freeing up more renewables expansion is would that be a correct uh, assumption christian exactly yes that's uh, that's correct and as i said they could have done all of this last year with uh, way less problems and way less trouble along the way but um, they've been stalling and uh, that came around to haunt them during the pandemic how about energy prices did they take a big hit during the, the pandemic and are they on the way back up again or interestingly enough prices took a big hit on a European level, the carbon market remained relatively resilient, which uh, led to gas prices or gas-fired power generation sort of take the lead in the German energy mix as soon as renewables fall short of their usual production levels. So in a way, record low gas prices in Europe mixed with a resilient carbon market led to a de facto phase-out of coal-fired power generation which basically means that the coal exit would have taken place one way or the other with or without the coal exit law. But prices have been rebounding over the past couple of weeks in June and uh, are now back at pre-crisis levels, actually. That is, in a way, interesting because consumption still falls short of the original levels that we've seen pre-crisis. Uh, energy quantified packed consumption over the last two weeks of June at roughly 92 to 93% of what's the usual level. And while they expect a slow recovery to take place, by the end of the year, we are probably still short some 3% of the regular levels. So it seems rather odd that we already reached levels that we've seen before the pandemic struck. 
Absolutely. And um, you clarified the policy issues that are now have now been basically signed off. What what else are the key issues in, in the remainder of the year then? Once you know, once we we tucked away all the all the renewables uh, delays and the postponements uh, there that on the policy side. The whole policy side has not been completely cleared because we are still waiting for the EU Commission to rubber stamp the coal exit law. Now Berlin is very convinced that they will receive a green light for the coal exit deal. But there still is some doubt with regard to the state aid rules that um, the EU Commission might find it rather odd that we are throwing billions of euros at dying coal power plants while they would phase out of the market eventually all by themselves. So this is still a big unclarity. It is expected that we receive a green light for the coal exit law later in autumn, but it's not a 100% certain thing for now. Nevertheless, they will um, go ahead with the first tenders to remove coal capacity, coal, hard coal capacity from the market. And um, they aim to uh, reduce the capacity by four gigawatts by year end. So we will have to see how many operators really push for this first tender and try to remove some of the older units. Thank you very much, Christian from Frankfurt. Be interesting to see if um, the market dynamics supersede the the policymakers. But uh, thank you for joining us today, Christian. Thank you very much. That's about all from the Montel Weekly Podcast this week. My thanks to Olaf, Chris, Andres and Christian. I hope you listeners enjoyed the whirlwind tour around Europe. Remember to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.